0: Welcome to Front Row from 2LO Rebooted, where we tell the stories of design and engineering. I'm Bill Thompson, and in this program we have the joys of eSport and the popularity of watching gamers, an introduction to architecture, that's the sort we do, not the building sort, and a warning from a top legal expert about the coming age of intelligent machines. First, architecture. There have been a number of interesting events recently within D&E, including the recent Women in Tech recruitment evening in London and the Technology, Strategy and Architecture, and the comma does matter, unconference in Salford. Our reporter Prue Stubbs helped organise the first and was around the fifth floor in Key House for the second. While the catering team were clearing up around her, she found time to talk to Chris Dix and Noriko Matsuoka about both events and about their work in the architecture group. I'm Noriko
1: Matsuoka, I'm lead architect for Emerging Experiences product which means I'm very much the voice of the audience in Emerging Experiences so looking forward to emerging technology that enhances the audience engagement so it could be voice, it could be a virtual reality, mixed reality, augmented reality and all of those very cool buzzwords that we have banding around the industry at the moment.
2: I'm Chris Dix, I'm head of architecture for product. That's audience facing products. Uh, so Nori and I are working the same team. Uh, we have others in our team as well and we're very much focused on looking at audience facing products, how we plug in new emerging tech, how we make the process for delivery of our products maybe a little bit easier and we look at how we work with our external partners as well. Make sure we get the best out of them and they get the best out of us. And we're also as a team very much focusing on how we build a technology community within the BBC. So as part of a TSNA function, some some of the things we do is just we're just the glue. We just connect people. So as well as working on strategic priorities, we're there to connect people so that we effectively evangelize what's being done in different areas so others know and can connect. And that's it's really difficult in this type of organisation where you're heads down, you're focused on what you need to deliver. The technology community is equivalent to the production of creative community. So, you you know, you have, there's individuals that want to do things different ways, uh, and it's our job to help connect them to make sure that they know what each other's are doing and and give them the ability and the platform to join up and work together on these things. So this week, lots of the BBC technology community got Mm -hmm. together and you were talking about the future. What were you talking about specifically or randomly? So firstly, it was a community event. So it was built by TSNA, but for the community. So the subjects were not and topics were not chosen. They were crowdsourced from our community. So very much the TSNA community decided what they wanted to talk about. Uh, obviously, we touched on things like AI, VR, but we also spoke about how we collaborate properly, how we work as teams, uh, how can we make BBC design technology better, how do we build a community, and that is really the theme, really, is how we join up as a community.
1: We had external speakers as well who've worked on public service and had to, they had to turn a corner if you like, there had to be a gear change in what they were doing, they, doing so they came in at scale to talk to us about what it is like to try and make that change happen with a big organisation who's very used to doing things their own way and bringing in new processes to each other and when we actually say community it's like relationships internally and externally. We're not coming in and saying, stop what you're doing, we're going this way. The whole point of the conference was to bring us all together and to, for us to talk to each other and make, make that clear. And actually, we need everyone's skill sets on board and we need to have cross-functional teams if we are going to move forward. We're going to need people with different expertise coming together, forming smaller groups and coming up with a new direction and actually following through and then pulling the right people in from the right teams to make that happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's certain forums already which look at um, the differences that we make um, with our architecture that affects our cost. And there's some really good debate that just happens across the community already. Clearly, there's huge amounts of talent in the BBC, uh, and I believe there are things that we could do better within community to highlight new ideas and support others no matter what your job is, whether you're creative, operational, you're technical of ways that we can surface those ideas and for the community to work across them and deliver some even more amazing experiences. Is this why you were at the BBC Women in Tech event on Monday trying to find some new talent? I think it's important to always look for for new talent and I think even still in technology in some ways it can look pretty scary. Uh, Even the job titles that we advertise I think this is, you know, there's still, uh, yeah, more women in tech is good. And obviously we're promoting that. But I think it's important in these events that we host is to break down the, you know, the job families, get people to understand the job families, what do they actually mean, show that where there is opportunity. It's not a male-orientated function. But I think, I think for me, for the job titles and the job families, I think it's difficult for people to understand what exactly that is. So it's important to come to these events, find out more about it, um, we can also learn in terms of the way that we communicate outside the BBC to make sure that there's a full understanding of our roles and what job families mean so it was, it was a great event it was really good we had lots of good interest and lots of good debate as well.
1: It can often be quite daunting and quite challenging to be the, the only woman in the village so I'd like to support I'd like to support women in that respect and I'm, that's why I'm very keen to have presence at those events, so thanks for sharing those and organising those.
2: The TSNA on conference was more about with our community that we have within the BBC and how we connect and how we leverage the different skills and talent that we have internally already, which is already huge. So we're tackling it from two different angles really, which is you know there's always the need for new skills, new talent or just new ideas. Um, as well as leveraging the ideas that we have internally and doing the best that we can and making it better, um, making it possible to be honest us to talk across the BBC is really important, so we don 't end up building the same things, um, duplicating things that we do. The thing that bothers me most is recognizing and celebrating the achievements that we uh, that we have it 's um, very much be uh, taken for granted when we deliver something. And something that I've been working on and have been involved in over the last 10 years in other companies is building technology fellowship networks which allows anybody across the business to be part of a much wider community where they are, um, they're working with maybe senior management and these other people may be very junior in the company but it creates a, a platform for new ideas, uh, new debate and creating new connections across the company. And it's something I've seen work really well. And it's, it's something that you feel quite proud to be part of. So it's a really good way of connecting. It certainly worked for me. Um, and hopefully it's something I want to try and encourage at the BBC over time. What advice would you give to people who were who looking at the phrase architecture and thinking, I don't know if that's for me. What would you say to them? Well, we say we have events. It's so the first thing to do is come to our events. So we have Tech Meetup events. We have some great speakers and we have uh, some of our HR staff there and we have uh, leaders within the BBC that are there. So we can openly talk about the type of roles that we have. We can break them down. Um, So I would say come to the events, uh, make the connection with the right people um, so you can ask more questions. I'm getting questions from the Women in Tech event already from this week. So we're working with individuals who have found interest in what we've spoken about over the week and we're working with them to find out if there are opportunities, active opportunities that they could apply for. So the important thing is come to events, come and meet us, uh, and understand what we do. I would echo what Chris says to come and talk to us at our events, and if,
1: we, if in our area we don't have something that um, is a direct match to you, we could certainly point you in a direction or someone who might, might do.
0: Chris Dix and Noriko Matsoka there, interviewed by Prue Stubbs. Now Chris mentioned AI and it's been a big focus recently with a range of events organised by Ali Shah and the Blue Room team looking at machine learning, big data and algorithmic control. On July the 10th I attended an evening conference in the radio theatre at Broadcasting House with some splendid speakers including our own Matthew Postgate. Now you can read the full text of Matthew's speech on Gateway and I plan to talk to him more about AI in a future show. But here's what he said on the night about using AI to deliver the DG's goal of reinventing the BBC for a new generation.
3: For me, one key to meeting that goal is mastering the courses of of the AI revolution. By this, I'm really talking about, today at least, machine learning and the use of data. All of us know these courses are likely to be of speed and scale we've never encountered before. Andrew Irwin has described AI as the new electricity, set to transform almost everything over the next few years. We're already seeing industries disrupted around us, and we know that the effect on public service institutions like the BBC, and indeed the NHS, the government, will be incredibly profound. But today, this change is being driven by the tech giants of the US and China. It's fair to say that many of the regulatory, societal and ethical questions are in danger of these left behind. The critical challenge for us at the BBC is therefore not just to master new technology and interests of the people who use us, but also to help to actually shape it in the interests of the whole of society. Perhaps it won't surprise you to hear that as CTPO, I believe that the BBC is uniquely well placed
0: to achieve this. One of the other speakers at the event was Professor Lillian Edwards from Strathclyde University. She's done a lot of work recently on the idea of algorithmic accountability. How do we hold computers to account for the decisions they make? But I asked her whether we really needed to think about ethics. Shouldn't we just let the engineers get on with this? Oh, and apologies for the clinking cups at the start, but the dishwasher was being filled.
4: OK, so this is to do with the fact that we're now living in a society which is data-driven, which is a buzzword, meaning that decisions are being taken using data. OK, so machine learning systems where depend on training sets big training sets of data which are used to create kind of internal rules which decide things and those things uh, particularly for the BBC could be things like who sees what content on iPlayer um, or who sees perhaps in their overseas territories who sees what adverts or you know do you get recommended to go on to the next episode of this program or do you get diverted off to the news, that kind of thing, that kind of hyper-personalization. But in the realer world, as it were, the, the wider world outside the BBC, it's also being used for really important stuff like systems that decide if people get stopped at airports, if people get allowed to enter the country, if people are allowed out on bail or not, right? So in all of these systems, the BBC systems, the content systems and the criminal justice systems, we have really serious issues about what's going on in the innards of these systems because they have not been, as it were, hand-carved by humans. And we don't know. It would depend on the training set whether for example they have implicit bias in them whether they exclude black people as creatives for example because the past data may not have had many black people as creatives in them so it doesn't have to depend on any kind of explicit bias it's simply that this is essentially a statistical correlation exercise so what we knew from the past which may be partial and full of errors and possibly biased will be replicated in future decisions And then it gets worse, because this time we can't see a person who's making it and call them out on it. Instead, we have what they call a black box, where we're not very sure why these correlations came up. And yet, these systems are likely to be efficient, speedy, up to the mark, and therefore very tempting. And even worse, if we procure them from outside our organisation, as we're likely to do, then we won't know either the innards or what the data was they were trained on. And because that will be the intellectual property of somebody else, we are very unlikely ever to get to see it. So we have this entrenched can of worms.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we need to be aware of that, tell other people about it, and do the best we can to improve that situation
4: yes and i think as i've been saying here that the bbc is in a really good position here because it is this international brand of impartiality and objectivity and balance because of its charter and its history to think about setting lines in the sand on this to think about maybe some kind of charter or set of principles of ethics for for example personalization of content and I don't think anyone's done that. I've just been thinking about it. The commercial broadcasters don't have the same kind of history or obligations. And I'm not aware of any other public service broadcaster in the world that has yet really done this. So it's a real opportunity.
0: Professor Lillian Edwards there with a challenge for us all. And now to another challenge niche audiences. Back in the Blue Room, resident guide Colin Warhurst has been taking a keen interest in games
5: culture, and specifically Twitch.tv. Today we're looking at Twitch.tv. I like to show Twitch to visitors to the Blue Room, because people fall into roughly two camps, those who've heard of Twitch and those that haven't, and those that haven't are always my favourite, because then I tell them it's people watching other people play video games, and then some jaws hit the floor. So... uh, Gaming has pretty much been ignored by mainstream media for decades, Whether conspiracy or just its nature as a medium of a game that you used to sort of play solo play before network and the internet came along TV and radio had a really hard time sort of describing games and getting into it. So games were just kind of pretty much ignored, even though the games industry makes more money than TV and movie industry combined. So there's still this really old-fashioned, subconscious, shared cultural idea that a gamer is a seven-year-old boy in his bedroom with a Nintendo, massively out of date. And for a while, that wasn't a problem. Um, If you were a gamer, you got games magazines, you went to game shops, you hung out with other gamers, you went on the internet forums, that kind of stuff. But as internet video became more and more doable, cheaper to make... Um, Platforms started to spring up. So, Twitch evolved out of a series called Justin TV, which was a kind of live streaming service, the live version of YouTube, if you like, back in those days. And if someone worked out, well, I'll broadcast what I'm doing on a game rather than what I'm having for breakfast or whatever you were doing on Justin TV. And eventually, it just exploded to the point where Justin TV closed down. It became. Twitch TV full-time, and then there was a bidding war between Google and Amazon to buy it. Uh, Why the big deal? Again, because there are so many gamers, and it's difficult for mainstream media or people who aren't gamers to get their head around the, the, the sheer numbers involved. Because you can go live straight from your computer, or indeed it's built into the games consoles as you get them out of the box now, pretty much anyone can just run up a broadcast straight away at the touch of a button. You might only have two people watching you. But if you've taken the time to build an audience, learn your craft and the skill at a game, you can command viewing figures of hundreds of thousands of people, and then it functions very, very much like every other sport. So eSports is the term that gets thrown around, and again, Old school people might turn their nose up be snobby, saying it's not a proper sport, it's not like darts. Uh, well, no, it's much better and bigger, more financially um, viable than darts. So uh, I've just put in League of Legends. It's one of, if not the most popular game on there. The top viewer there, he's got 20,000 20, people pretty much viewing him right now. And over time, he's had 214 and a half, so, and a half million people watch him ever since he started. So, I, mean, I assume he's been there for a while. Um, he won't have got those figures yesterday, but... The point is, yeah, you can you can rack up these huge, huge viewing figures. So on his own, he's got twenty one thousand people watching him right now. You might say, well, that's impressive, but not really a threat to the BBC. But you times that by ten, a hundred, a 1, thousand, and that's the point. This is international as well because we, you know, the internet means that geographical boundaries don't, don't matter anymore. So okay, now there's a platform for games, but remember, games is a subject that we don't talk about or never did for many years and still don't enough, you might argue. So Twitch is an example. I still haven't found a better word than niche because that's the point. Games aren't niche. They're massive. They just weren't spoken about. But if you step away from Twitch and games for a second and think of all the other topics we don't talk about or can't talk about because there aren't enough hours in the day or hours in our schedule because we're a broadcaster, but the audience wants to hear about those niche things, there are now places and platforms to go to people can make their own programs about it so if i'm into comics another subject that isn't really talked about very much i won't watch the bbc i will go and find a blogger a vlogger a podcaster who will happily talk to me about comics seven days a week and that's less time i'm spending with the bbc so again you extrapolate that across all the subject matters all the demographics all the audience types it just kind of points to the the difficulty as our audience gets more and more fragmented as more and more choices out there
0: Colin Warhurst there, and if you'd like to know more, he'll happily give you a demonstration. Well, that's all for this edition of Front Row here on 2LO Rebooted. Please do get in touch if you have a story to share. I'm Bill Thompson. Goodbye.